This is why I hate blanket tax advice <laughs> or hate blanket like selling points like with cost seg. Because what might aid someone a ton of money could cost someone else a ton of money or could offer no benefit to someone else. So cost segregation gets toted like crazy because like, oh, you can generate this huge year one write-off instead of your house getting written off across 27 and a half years. This will let you write off a third of the price in year one. Sounds great. But we talked about that passive loss limit. This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build multiple streams of passive income through the most proven asset class that there is, real estate investing. Today, our guest is Natalie Kalati, and today we're talking about tax strategies for real estate investors. And specifically, we're digging into the tax advantages or potential tax advantages of specific short-term rental investing strategies and ways that you may be able to write things off of your active income by using short-term rentals and obviously talking with your tax professional before making any big decisions. That's a big part of this discussion. We also dig into real estate professional status, whether it's relevant. We talk about depreciation and cost segregation and a lot of things around this space. She shares a lot of excellent, very helpful information with us today. And I know you're going to learn a lot, especially those uh, those of you out there who are focused on optimizing your taxes. Natalie and I were on the line for about an hour and a half. You're only hearing about a half an hour of our conversation. She's just so fun to talk to. She has so much knowledge, you guys, and she shares a lot of it with us today. So great conversation. You're going to learn a ton. I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor, and I help busy people passively invest in commercial real estate, specifically multifamily and self-storage properties. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and would like to learn about potentially investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com, fill out the form and schedule a call, and we will look forward to speaking with you soon. If you're an Apple Podcast user and you enjoy the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating interview on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind. I appreciate that so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys, that gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street Casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Once again, our guest today is Natalie Kalati, and we're talking about very specific advantages that short-term rental investing can have from a tax perspective. Without any further ado, here we go. Natalie, thank you so much for joining us today. I said, you know, we have to hit the record button because we've been talking for almost an hour <laughs> and we haven't recorded any of this conversation yet. <laughs> for our listeners out there who don't know about you and your business, can you tell us about what you do and uh, how you help people with their taxes and real estate? Yeah. So um, I'm Natalie Kalati. I'm a real estate tax strategist foremost and an enrolled agent with the IRS. I'm also a real estate investor. Um, I've been on Bigger Pockets since 2013 as a moderator. I'll be at the conference and I've just been involved in real estate and tax for about that whole time. And I've had my own business since 2017, working exclusively with real estate investors and focusing on kind of the proactive tax strategy and looking at things ahead of time um, instead of just your typical tax return filing. See you next year. So yeah, that's what we've been when doing on this side is tax strategy. Awesome. I love that. And you, we're going to get to to the rest of the conversation here in a second, but you blew my mind with something you told me just a few minutes ago 
while we were recording about professional qualifications to be a tax preparer. And as that pertains to our ability, my ability, the listener's ability as investors and people who are filing taxes, yeah. vet our tax preparers. So uh, tell us, what did you blow my mind with? It's amazing. Yeah. You don't need to have a license to do taxes. Like you do not need crazy. pretty much anything. It's crazy because you need to go to school to be able to cut hair and get a license, but you don't for taxes. Anyone can just apply to the IRS for a tax filing number and pass a background check and start doing taxes. So especially like January of every year, you start seeing all these people all over Facebook and it's the like a side hustle. But make sure that the person you're working with actually has some kind of credential or a license or experience in it, like check their LinkedIn, look at what they did previously. If, you know, four weeks ago they were logging into a job at Dairy Queen and now they're telling you they're a tax expert because they bought some software, they are not and don't go there. So yeah, there's <laughs> no, it's the wild west out here. <laughs> a little, little shade at Dairy Queen there, there, but that, that blew my mind. I honestly didn't know that. And, you know, you've, uh, you told me that now and, and, I won't. My fiance has been cutting my hair since the beginning of COVID. We're not going to tell her that she needs a license. That's only me. So, anyway, so today we're going to talk about tax strategies, or or as some folks might call it, tax loopholes. I don't like that term, tax loopholes, because we're only doing things that are totally legal here. But as they pertain to short-term rentals and and strategies that folks can use around that, so let's break in that and tell us, you know, tell us about that. Yeah. So we bring up short-term rentals specifically. I think sort of the lead in it needs is that we all hear about real estate having all of these tax benefits. You can deduct real estate losses, but there's a caveat to it, which is that if your income, if your adjusted gross income is over 150000 each year, you don't get to deduct those losses in the current year. There's a limit on it. So a lot of higher income earners get into real estate and then they're kind of bummed out to find that they are not going to actually get to use those losses in the current year. They can't reduce their other earnings by them. Um, those losses never go away and they roll forward until you're in a situation you can use them so they don't just like disappear. My favorite way to describe them is like if you ever played Super Mario and you already had the raccoon tail and you got the little star, it just like hovered in that box at the top of the screen till you got bit by a Koopa and you could use it. Like that's what your losses do. They just hover in the box till you're in a situation they can drop down to you. They're just there. But short-term rentals are this kind of unique area of the tax code where they can qualify for being non-passive so that loss, that not being able to use those write-offs, that limit rather, it's based on the fact that they're a passive loss. So if we can convert it to being non-passive, we have access to it. So with short-term rentals, as long as your average stay, your average guest stay is seven days or less, um, and you materially participate in the property, and what I'll do, there's seven tests to determine if you do. I'll send you a link so you can put them in the show notes for people. But as long as you meet those two criteria, your rental is technically non-passive. So it still gets reported on Schedule E, just like a longer-term rental. Um, it's not subject to self-employment tax. It still is very similar, but those losses are now available to use against your other income sources. So it creates this great opportunity for people who may not be able to utilize losses from a traditional long-term rental. So that the, the limit of 150000 I think you said, AGI does not apply to this strategy. So is it is it a matter of the sky's the limit? Is there a, a higher limit above that? Like if we're talking about, you know, folks out there who are pushing, you know, maybe a million dollars a year in in their active earnings, you know, is, is this available for them? Yeah. So there's no additional limit. It is now 
just a ordinary loss, you can use it against any other income sources. So a great example is this year I had clients who were a married couple who were both surgeons. So their combined income from just their W-2 jobs was about a million dollars. It was just under it. And they bought two really high-end vacation homes to put on Airbnb during the year. So like one was literally like an $800,000 home, one was like 1.3. So high dollar homes. Um, So these high value short-term rentals, and then they utilized a cost segregation on them. And what a cost segregation does is lets you break the life of the house into shorter components. So normally a short-term rental is considered commercial for tax purposes. So it gets written off the value of the house across 39 years versus a long-term rental would be 27. So that's another slight difference. But with a cost segregation, a firm breaks apart the components of a house. So instead of a solid 39 years, they say, you know, your electrical is on seven years, your appliances are five years, all these different things. And per the tax code, any asset with a life of less than 20 years qualifies for something known as bonus depreciation, which is just a fancy way of saying you can write it off all at once. It's just like a bonus in the tax code, right? It's just a sweet perk. So buy these high dollar houses, utilized a cost segregation that was able to separate out parts of it from being the actual house, like components within it. Um, And they were able to generate between those two properties a $400,000 write-off for the year that we got to use against their other W-2 income. So that was a huge, there's not many other things you can do where you can invest in something and as a result, also get to reduce your overall income by $400,000 in the same year. Yeah, no, that's pretty sweet. So how does real estate professional status play into this, if at all? And really, before we get to that question, uh, could you describe real estate professional status for our listeners out there, just so everybody's on the same page getting started? Yeah, it's like the Willy Wonka golden ticket. It's like the thing everyone wants, but very few people can get. (laughs) It's basically, so with real estate, one of the best benefits to it is that unlike operating a normal business, like if you opened an ice cream shop, your income would be subject to self-employment taxes. You are self-employed. And what those are, are your like payroll taxes, FICA, Medicare, Social Security. If you work for someone, you pay half, your boss pays half, and you're self-employed, you pay both halves, self-employment tax. Real estate income already doesn't pay that. So that was sort of the first perk. But the reason it doesn't is because it is a passive income. That's why we have those loss limits like we talked about before. So that, you know, there's sort of a a limit to the benefit here. Um, So with a real estate professional, what you're saying is that your actual business, your full-time job is real estate. So when this sort of situation came about, um, it came about related to a net investment in income tax. That was something a while ago. But anyway, the reason this came out was there was another tax coming into play and people who were full-time in real estate were like, wait, we shouldn't have to pay that. This isn't an investment for us. This is our literal job. This is our business. So we have this real estate professional status where if you spend at least 750 hours a year in real estate, And this is the bigger one. This is the one most people can't meet and seem to just forget about. It's like people ignore this part. You have to spend more time on real estate than any other combined activities. So for most people, your full-time job is over 2,000 hours a year. So you have to spend an hour more on real estate. When you qualify for a real estate professional status, and if you're married, only one of the two people need to qualify for you both to have this benefit. So one person can work full-time as a doctor. One person can stay home with the kids and manage the rentals kind of thing and still qualify for the benefit overall. Um, 
But when you qualify, what it is essentially doing is the same way that short-term rental took your passive loss and switched it over to be non-passive, which is what lets us then deduct it because the limit is a passive loss limit. As a real estate professional, any of your real estate losses are now non-passive. So it just reclassifies the nature of these losses, which means that as a real estate professional, you can deduct them with no limit every year as incurred and offset any other income with those losses for real estate. So it doesn't overlap. There's no um, need to be one to get the other related to short-term rentals and real estate professional. It's just accomplishing that same status shift through one of two different ways, essentially, just reclassifying the type of loss through one of two qualifications. Gotcha. Great. Okay. So it almost, if I can attempt to sum it up, (laughs) it almost sounds like uh, real estate professional status does not matter for this specific short-term rental strategy that we're discussing. Yeah, correct. That's why I'm so big on it because a lot of people can never reach real estate professional Mm -hmm. status. If they love their jobs, they're never going to do real estate full-time. They're never going to have that option. So this is sort of an alternative. Let's look at short-term rentals. If this works for your investing goals and your plan, we talked about this earlier, like don't let the tail wag the dog Mm -hmm. here, like do not buy for tax purposes. But if you've considered short-term rentals anyway, this could be a good way to also be a little more strategic tax-wise than just buying long-term rentals. Great. So one of the things that I've heard, you know, you spend enough time in this uh, real estate space, you rub elbows with a lot of CPAs and other investors and everything. Regarding real estate professional status and, and qualifying for it, you mentioned you have to work more in real estate than your your job if you have a job. And most people work 2,000 hours a year in their W-2s. But I've heard that even if you can go and you go and claim, well, my real estate investments, I spent 2,100 hours on this year and I did 2,000 hours of my W-2 the IRS has still looked at those returns and, and denied that and said, we don't buy that you spent that much time on your real estate investments. Is that true? Is it, is it, are people really running a big risk and trying to make that kind of a claim and quote, game the system, if you will? Kind of. So yes and no, it is a, a looked at area because it's a huge benefit. Mm-hmm. So it is something the IRS keeps an eye on. Um, and there are a lot of tax court cases where the IRS has or the courts have ruled against it. And the biggest things come down to inflated time. Um, One of my favorite like responses was someone's list of their hours, because you're also supposed to track all of your hours. You can't just like, this isn't an honor system. The IRS does not believe you. Like, then you are not innocent until proven guilty. You are lying till you have a log. But one of my favorite cases was the person had things logged like an hour each week for paying their mortgage. And just like super inflated things. The one of the things was like, supervised painters for 10 hours on a day and the case they were like you literally didn't sit here and watch paint dry for 10 hours like that's not (laughs) what people are doing we're throwing this time out so that's the biggest problem is the people who are trying to force it who do work like a full-time job really and they're trying to say oh well i spent a little more on this but the time is super fluffed up with like listening to tax podcasts or real estate podcasts or reading or all of these times that aren't ordinary and necessary so Well, it's a great tax strategy, trying to force it to happen when you really don't qualify for it is super risky. And it puts us in a a terrible position as your tax person. (laughs) Because I've had multiple people where they're like, oh, no, we want to claim this. Here's the log. And I go through the log and it's like, it's obviously like fluffed up. They own like two rentals and they're trying to tell me they spent 
you know, 3000 hours during the year on them. And it's, yeah. And like the time is super sketchy and it's like, I don't want to tell you you're a liar, but this isn't going to fly. Like this isn't, this is too risky. So it might be looked at. So don't try to force it. Like if you're trying to fluff up your time, if you are honestly, like you're working part-time, you've got three or four rentals. That's where you're spending most of your time right now. Um, you know, your time is reasonable. That's where you're, you're good. Because like if they look at it, as long as you can prove it, you're good. If you're telling me your time is that you spent 10 hours a week every week in a mastermind course and you haven't bought a property yet, but you're renting the shed in your yard for 50 bucks a month. No, like absolutely not. Sit back down. Like we're not doing that. So that's the, that's the risk. It's <laughs> like people trying to trying something when they should be. Okay. That makes a lot of sense that people are probably uh, gaming that numbers a little, a little bit. Aggressive. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the literally watching paint dry one is, is a funny example, but I can see how, how people would try that. Now uh, you touched on cost segregation and, and the various uh, depreciation strategies. And we had talked about this in our, our conversation prior and our various uh, frustrations with some of the marketing in that space. And I feel like I should probably bring that up and hope, hopefully you can at least shed some light for us on the, the reality versus the marketing for cost segregation generally. Yeah. So there's several things in real estate where this comes up. And this is one of those things. This is why I hate blanket tax advice or <laughs> hate blanket like selling points like with cost seg. Because what might save someone a ton of money could cost someone else a ton of money or could offer no benefit to someone else. So cost segregation gets toted like crazy because like, oh, you can generate this huge year one write-off instead of your house getting written off across 27 and a half years. This will let you write off a third of the price in year one. Sounds great. But we talked about that passive loss limit. So whether you have valid rental expenses of $12 or a million dollars, if it creates a loss that you buy the next limit by that passive loss limit cannot deduct, it hasn't actually helped you. It's like, I don't even have a good comparison to this. It's like saving all of your pennies, but they're stuck in a piggy bank you can't ever break open. Like if you cannot get to those pennies, having more pennies is not going to help you. So... Cost segregation can be a great tool. Do not do it or do not tell someone else to do it or do not, you know, dive headfirst into it until you talk to your tax person and see if the benefit it generates you can literally use or not. Or if you're going to create a big loss that you will not be able to actually deduct this year, you'll get to use it at some point. Like those losses, like I said, little Mario box, like they'll carry forward and at some point it'll be there. But that's not what most people are trying to do. Mm. <laughs> Okay. Now, another question that has come up uh, for me and in, in talking with folks generally, as I get this question sometimes, is as a real estate investor, particularly somebody who's just getting started building their portfolio, maybe they have one rental, maybe working on their, their second one, not getting into more advanced stuff. A lot of times folks can wonder, do I really want to pay for a professional you know, CPA tax preparer? Or can I get away with you know, QuickBooks and some of the more online pieces of software. Now, obviously you have a, a vested interest, which we understand here. We're going to, you know, just be open and honest about that. But really what I'm driving at is in your opinion, at what point does it make sense for a real estate investor to have enough scale to hire a professional to handle their finances versus kind of doing it themselves? Yeah, this is such a weird question and such a 
<laughs> Thanks. I try. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's just like, I guess it's my answer is so weird, right? Because you'll hear a lot of professionals who are like, hire a professional from the start, do it right the first time, blah, blah, blah. And for sure, and for a lot of businesses, that makes sense. But I'm also a real estate investor. And if you have bought a rental and you're cash flowing 200 bucks a month, that's great. If you are now paying someone 200 bucks a month to do your books or your taxes or any of those things, that's not great. Like there's a trade-off here. So, and this has been kind of an ongoing issue because then the problem is someone comes to me, I think we talked about this earlier, how many of my new clients I have to fix earlier problems. And it's always cost more to fix something later than do it right to begin with. But it's like when someone gets to five or six properties, then they go to a professional, find out things have been wrong for years. Sometimes they end up owing more because they did something wrong, whatever the case is. So there's not really a good answer and there's not really a good solution because here's the thing. A good tax professional isn't cheap and a cheap tax professional isn't good. So if you find <laughs> someone who's like, oh, I'll do this for 200, like you see this on the, in the groups a lot, people ask, what do you pay for your taxes? And someone's like, well, I have four companies and my account and only charges me a straw penny and once a year I bake them a pie. Like, okay, well, they're probably not good at what they do. Like I spend 20 grand a year on education. If someone is charging you a pie and a straw penny, my guess is they have never taken any kind of professional education. So you're going to get what you pay for. So your first thought is like, is it worth a professional if you're getting the cheapest one you could find or going to somewhere that involves two letters and a shape for the name of the tax firm? No, that might not actually help you in any way. They might not know real estate honestly much better than you do and you've now just paid money. So um, one of the things I'm currently working on is sort of an ebook and a course like better information for people to do their own taxes with rentals because there's several very specific mistakes that people repeat. It's like what we typically see wrong is the same things. It's related to depreciation. It's related to how to treat expenses in certain ways. It's kind of these same repeated like errors. So if we can just keep people from doing that, I think you'll be better off honestly doing it yourself until you can work with someone who offers value. Um, because someone who you're going to pay $200 is probably going to do it wrong and you've lost $200. So just do it wrong yourself for free. I guess it's, <laughs> that's as bad as that sounds. <laughs> but that's where we're at. <laughs> like, I'll let, let you guys know once I have some better guidance out there so you can hopefully do it right yourself. But um, it's a weird hiccup because a normal business, you know, the, the profit is much higher than on a rental. Your cash mm -hmm. flow is pretty minimal. It's a long-term game. So you don't want to suck all of your cash flow into you know, services into paying for bookkeeping or a tax professional. There's a point where you need those things when you're trying to grow. But early on, man, it is tough. And it's going to just, I want you to use that money. I want you to have that money to invest in your next property, not to give it to me. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> if you had to pick one, so there's these, the, there's the actual tax preparation kind of at the end versus the day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month bookkeeping of being a real estate investor. If you had to pick one to hire a professional for and the other one to for an individual to do themselves, which would you pick? Oh, gosh. that's It's so hard because bad bookkeeping is worse than bad taxes. Like, mm. it's <laughs> there's a, a saying that's garbage in, garbage out. So it's mm -hmm. like, if the books are bad, we have those numbers to do the taxes. The taxes are going to be wrong, too. They're, we can't just fix them with magic. We didn't know the numbers were off to start with. So what it comes down to, if you are a new investor, I would say keep track of things on a good spreadsheet. You can go to the IRS website. You could print off Schedule E. That is what your rentals get reported on. 
um, match up your expense categories to what goes on that form. If you are just keeping a running tally for expenses in each of those categories, keeping track of your rent, and then any costs you incur before your rental is purchased or ready and available for rent, track separately. Those typically are part of the cost of buying it. So that has sort of a different rule. Um, keep track of those things cleanly, and that shouldn't be too hard. You can use a spreadsheet for this. Just do it on an ongoing basis. So I would say bookkeeping early on, not the most important. If I had to choose what to pay for, uh, also Stessa, S-T-E-S-S-A, is a great app for new investors. It doesn't work well if you have a partnership or any kind of a an entity filing, but if it's just going on your personal tax return, Stessa is awesome. Links to your bank account and streamlines things for you. Early on, if you had to pay for one of the two, I would say pay for a tax professional. I'm obviously biased, but a good one. You know, it's, it's like it's a hard um, it's a hard choice because there's a, a big shortage in this industry right now. A lot of industries with staffing and things like that. And a lot of people are retiring out of accounting. It was kind of an like an old timey professional. Almost. Like there's much less people going into accounting. They're retiring out of it um, because of technology. So many people can do their own taxes now until they have something complicated. So Get a tax professional, but don't bother paying if you go through and vet them. You look at their experience, you look at their history, you look at all these things. If they don't have those things, but they'll do it for cheap, it's it's not worth it. There's there's a reason. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Well, I have so many questions, but we're going to have to move on to the next part of the show right now. We're going to take a quick break for a sponsor. But before we do that, actually, I'll let you all know that Stessa is one of our affiliates here at the Passive Wealth Strategy Show. So use our link and you can open up your account today. Now we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. The first step to growing your wealth is tracking your wealth, income, spending, and everything else about your finances. You can start tracking your wealth for free and get six free months of wealth advisory with personal capital by going to escapingwallstreet.com and using our link. Create your free account today and automate the way you track your money. Personal capital is my preferred way to track my finances, and now we're making that available for listeners. Terms and conditions apply. See the personal capital website for details. Once again, to get the offer, go to escapingwallstreet.com and use our link. Back to the show. All right, Natalie, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? I am ready. Great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? I would say, I don't know if it was the best, best, but kind of my best deal overall was one of the mobile homes that I flipped. I purchased for $50. And literally the day I purchased it, I sold it that same day, like bought it for $50, put a sign in the window that it would be for sale by owner and had a buyer within like five hours and had it sold at full price for a 30-day span so we could finish the work on it. So that was probably my best investment was just the $50 mobile home. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. I like that. Well, we had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? Uh, this is super easy. I paid for one of those guru seminars. That is oh literally how I got started in real estate was like the week I graduated college paying three grand for one of those weekend learn, you know, learn how to invest in real estate sponsored by the guy on HGTV seminars. Don't ever pay for those. Pay for education, pay for a mentor. Do not pay for a guru seminar. If you've seen their face on a television show, just shut it down. Just get out of there. <laughs> That's good advice. You can learn an awful lot of this business for free through on bigger pockets, <laughs> bigger pockets, podcasts, Podcast. yeah. YouTube. It's hard to sort the weed from the chaff. There's a lot of great books out there, mm -hmm. but get a lot of that cheap information first before you shell out a bunch of money. Absolutely. So, you know. Yep. 
My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? I would say the most important lesson is two things. The two biggest things I think are consistency and relationships. You see a lot of people dive into real estate and they're so gung-ho on finding deals or like the that they're not taking the steps to get to it. If you are networking consistently, talking to people consistently, putting out information consistently, you will find deals. You will find those relationships it takes you to find deals. So just being active regularly and not sort of giving up because you've not, like you have to make a a crap load of offers in this. Like you can't get discouraged. You have to keep doing the things. So consistency on an ongoing basis is probably the biggest thing. Totally agree. I think a lot of people give up way too early in real estate. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, that message should hopefully hit home with all our listeners out there. Well, I want to thank you for joining us today, sharing all this great information. If folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch with you, if they want to learn about what you're up to or anything like that, if you're looking for some uh, tax prep services or anything along those lines, where can they track you down? Yeah. So my website is kind of the main starting point. That is colotax.com, K-O-L-O-T-A-X. And you can also find me on Facebook, uh, Natalie Kaladi on there. I have a business page too. That's Kaladi Tax and Consulting, but just follow me personally. All it is is tax information. Um, you can find me on TikTok, on Real Estate Tax Strategist, and on Instagram as Real Estate Tax Strategist as well. Awesome. Well, thank you once again for joining us today. We've been online for quite a while now, and it's been an awesome conversation. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars, if you don't mind. I appreciate that so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. <laughs> that gives me, got a little cat jumping up on my lap here. It's the best part of the show. <laughs> yep. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see your ratings and reviews and I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street Casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.